Uh, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, my name is Ricky, one of the pastors that serves here. So good to be with you guys today. Uh, think of all the things in your life that, that you really don't notice. Um, almost every day, I get in my car and I drive down Highway 2. And actually, even though that I knew I was going to be saying this this morning, I still didn't notice it. But I drive, and I drive down Highway 2, and then I turn onto Old Cheney over there by the McDonald's. And you know what I pretty much never notice? I never really noticed raising canes over there. I really never noticed that there's a mini golf course over here. Maybe some of you are like, what? There's a mini golf course? I remember they used to have that sign, this is a mini golf course. Um, you know, but you, you think of all these things in your life that, you, that you, just, you just drive by. You don't ever really notice them. You don't ever really think about. I remember talking to somebody that lived in California, uh, close to the beach, and it was like, oh man, how often do you go to the beach? And they just seemed kind of like, Oh, I don't know. Uh, not, not, not very often. I'd, whatever. And for me, it was just like, what? I mean, I know Nebraska has some really good beaches as well, but that just seemed crazy. And, but for them, it was, but this is totally normal and actually kind of mundane. Why? Whenever you get familiar with something, you have a tendency to not pay very close attention to it. Whenever you get familiar with something, you don't pay, pay that close attention to it or think of actually how impacting it is on your life. I mean, maybe it's when you're driving, maybe, maybe it's when you're brushing your teeth, hopefully you brush your teeth this morning, if not, when you get home, you know the next step of what to do, but <laughs> you just don't ever think about it, you don't ever really pay attention, and many times that can happen too when we read the Bible or when we hear these stories. We've heard these stories, and we could become very familiar with them and kind of get complacent about them, and we just don't really stop to actually think about it or to take notice about what's going on and how impacting it could be on our life, how awesome it is. And I think this is one of those stories with Jesus being tempted. Maybe you grew up in church, and you may, maybe heard this story several times. Maybe even if you didn't, even sometimes out there in, in shows and things, it'll discuss this, and we just become, become familiar with it, and it's just kind of like, oh yeah, this is one of those stories, and we don't stop to think about how it can impact our lives. It's just like kind of cruising past raising canes, and we miss a lot of these huge truths and, and just the beauty that's in it. And so... We're going to look at this story and think not just what's happening, but how this actually impacts you, impacts me every day of our life, impacts you this afternoon, this time tomorrow, when you're at work, whatever that might be. And so we're going to be looking at the, the three temptations, and then we're going to be looking at four implications that we can have from this text. So three, three temptations, four implications. So verse one says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit... Um, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So uh, from the end of chapter 3, the, the spirit, like a dove, comes on Jesus uh, and, and, and comes on him. And then the first thing, the spirit leads him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. I feel like, oh gosh, that's kind of a bummer. If I was like, oh, the Spirit came on me, I would want to be led by the Spirit into hoo hot or something like that. But he's, he's led to, be, to, to fast. And so then um, to be tempted by the devil. And so this is the first time in Matthew that we're really introduced to this character, 
the devil or, 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 or Satan. And we see this, this controversy, this, this conversation between Jesus and the devil unfold. And so that, that word uh, devil or it just means uh, opponent or, or accuser, adversary. Um, and this helps us to see that in, in this passage, this helps us to see that, hey, there is a spiritual world. Evil is real. The, the devil is real. This isn't just kind of like, oh, hey, some, some thing that we look at that's, that's, not, that's just kind of leading us into different things, and this is just a, a word picture. This is showing us, hey, there, there's different forces that are at work in our world. And the devil is, is one of those. And the de- devil, he's not, he's not om- omnipresent. That means he's not in, in every, he can't be everywhere at one time. He can't be in more than one place. Um, and so even if you are tempted, or, or, uh, by, it probably isn't by the devil directly. But there is this spiritual battle. And it isn't just here with Jesus, but it's with you and with me. And um, we tend to, I think, in our society, really tend to think of, of our world only or even mainly in physical terms. We tend to undermine that there's a, a spiritual realm. And that there are these evil forces. I mean, think about how we go about identifying problems in our world. Right? We, we think right off the bat, oh, this is just a problem that this evil or this thing that's going on out there, why is that a problem? Oh, it's a lack of education. That's what created this. That's what led to this. Oh, it's just psychological factors. And if, and if that person or this group of people just had the right information, the right education, and the right kind of nurturing and psychological factors, then that would just solve the problem. Now, if you just look at the past century of humankind, does that seem to be true? Right? We have more information available to us than ever before. Better education, more awareness of psychological factors, counselors, all of these different things at our disposal. Does it seem to be solving the problems? Now, I, I get it that those are real things. I'm not saying that those, those issues don't exist or sociological factors. Of course they do. But that's not it. Because if we solve those things, there's still something else going on. And this shows us, hey, that, that, that there are evil forces at work. Ephesians 6, uh, starting in verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not just people, it's not just physical things, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. And so there, there's, there is this kingdom of darkness and it's against the kingdom of God. And, and this is happening around you, and you're involved in it. Whether you really are aware of it, whether you agree with it, you're involved in it. You're being drawn, being tempted away from the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness, even right now. Distractions, all of these different things. And so um, there is this spiritual battle, and Jesus is led by the Spirit to be tempted. And you might be thinking, okay, well, hey, what, why the Spirit... If, if the Spirit is leading Jesus away from Huat into the, the fast, into the wilderness, and 
than to be tempted. Why would the Spirit lead Jesus to be tempted? Well, that word tempted there, depending on the translation you have, it it can be uh, also, it really means this word like test. Later on in Matthew, when the spiritual authorities... The Pharisees, Sadducees, they come to Jesus, and it has the same word there, and it says, they came to Jesus to test him, to basically, uh, they ask him questions to see if he knows the answers to that. And so this word test means um, that you are trying to see what the reality of something is, trying to reveal what something is. Kind of like when you take a test in school, it's trying, like, hopefully, the, the teacher's trying to think, like, okay, hey, we've, we've given you this knowledge. Let's see how much they've retained. Let's just see what they've learned. And so it's trying to reveal what you've learned or, or what something is. And so Jesus is being led by the Spirit not to do, in, in, into the wilderness, not to be tempted to do bad things, but to reveal who Jesus is, to show the reality uh, and the truth about Jesus. And so this is God's purpose in that. God is, is wanting to reveal to us, to the people, hey, this is who Jesus is. And so um, Satan coming to tempt Jesus to do bad, that's actually Satan being under the, guy, under the authority of God's greater purpose, uh, God's greater purposes. And so that's, um, yeah, the Spirit is leading him out there to reveal who Jesus is, to show him uh, who he is. And then verse 2 says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, right? Well, I think we'd all be like, that's an understatement. We're hungry after just like four hours. Um, and so he's hungry and the devil shows up. And because he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, that's when Satan shows up. And, and that's what happens many times. Satan shows up when we're very vulnerable. Hey, you've been fasting for 40 days, for 40 nights, you're hungry. Boom, Satan shows up. Hey, you're stressed. You're hungry. You're tired. You're lonely. You're bored. Those are the times when, when you're vulnerable and that you'll be pulled uh, in, into doing you know, bad things, to falling away. And so Satan shows up when Jesus is vulnerable. Then it says, then the tempter, verse 3, then the tempter approached him. And said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I mean, think about what Jesus just heard at the end of chapter 2. Jesus just heard something from God the Father, and now that's being called into question. God the Father just said, this is my beloved son, whom I love and am well pleased. He had just heard that from God. And then Satan, the first thing that he says is, are you really the son of God? Is that really who you are? Is that what God really said? And one of, of Satan's tactics is always to question your identity and who you are in Christ, trying to undermine what God has said. I'm sure that this has happened to, to many of you, maybe, maybe today, maybe this week. But this thought will pop in your brain, and it's not from God, but it'll say something like, man, if you really were a Christian then you wouldn't have done that. Or you really wouldn't be thinking those things. You really wouldn't have looked at that. Hey, how can you really be a son of God if, if that's what's going on in your life? How could God really love you or like you when you're participating in those things? And that's the voice of the enemy. 
coming to you, trying to undermine who you are in Christ, to, to uh, undermine your identity. And so that's where Satan starts. He's attacking what God has said and, and his, uh, Jesus' identity in, in the Father. And so he tells him, hey, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And, and Satan here, what he's telling Jesus is, if, you're, if you really are the Son of God, then why are you hungry? Man, if, if, if you're following God, if you're following the Spirit, why do you have nothing to eat? Why are you out here in the wilderness starving? Doesn't God, your Father, provide for you? Doesn't he provide for his children? If you're the Son of God, wouldn't you have something? He's not taking care of you. And so, what you should do, Jesus, since it seems that God's not paying attention to you, you need to take care of yourself. Tell these stones to become bread. And so here's the temptation, is provide for yourself. Provide for yourself. You're hungry. You should have food, so satisfy your desires right now. Use your power to benefit you. For what you need, for what you want, God is holding out on you. So get what you want and fix your circumstances, Jesus. This is similar to how Satan tempted Adam and Eve in Genesis in the garden. Satan made it seem like uh, God is holding out on you. Man, if you just ate the fruit, if you just took a bite, then you would be able to know good from evil. Man, God's not giving you that kind of knowledge. You should get it. Just take a bite. That way you would make, make your circumstances better. I mean, we can all relate to in that in some way. Right? We, 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 we want our circumstances to be great. Even think about this. How many times in your life, like this week, the way that you orient your life is about how the circumstances in your life are going. Hey, how are you? Well, let me tell you how my circumstances are going. How my circumstances are going with my family. How my circumstances are going with my job. That determines how my life is really going, right? And so then so much of our mental work and our, our effort is then fixing those circumstances so that then our life will actually be good. And Satan, he'll, he'll, he'll come to you in those places, in those circumstances and say like, hey, get that better job. You need this. Get, you, you know what? You don't have this kind of relationship that you want. You should get it now. Get it your way. Hey, it's fine if you compromise on that. Hey, you, 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 you feel these urges, these desires, maybe they're kind of good, and that's fine. But then Satan says, hey, don't rely on God to, to and his ways in your life regarding those circumstances, regarding those desires. You act on them now, and you satisfy yourself. Gratify yourself. Get what you want. And so... You compromise on that relationship. You take credit for something that you didn't do at work. You, you lust and go to a screen to get something, to get what you want now. And every time that happens, I mean, just like Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit. 
It seemed like, oh man, if we eat the fruit, this will help us. This will help our circumstances. This will be a delight in our life. But then they quickly, right after they ate it, they find out that this wasn't a delight. This was destruction. And so Satan is is tempting Jesus. Hey, provide for yourself. Fix your circumstances. Satisfy your desires. Get what you want and get it now. And then here's what Jesus' response is. Verse 4. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus quotes scripture. I mean, after every temptation that Jesus faces, that's what he does. He, he points to scripture. Now think of what Jesus could have done. I mean, this is, Jesus is God in flesh. God, fully God, in human form. I mean, he, I mean, this, this Jesus is eternal and has all wisdom. I mean, he can just outwit Satan. Well, you said this, what about this? Bow, bow, bow. And just outwit him. And Satan wouldn't know what to do. Or Jesus could like prove himself. Hey, you told me to tell stones to become bread? Check this out. I'm going to make this mountain into a chocolate chip cookie. And then everybody would be like, that is the son of God. If, if, if Jesus made it an oatmeal raisin, we'd be like, I don't know. Probably not. That's not good. Um, but I like oatmeal raisins. No, 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 you don't. They're terrible. Raisins are gross. But he, he could have just proved himself. He could have flexed his power, flexed his wisdom. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. He's like, this is what God's word says. And every time, that, that's just something that we want to grow in as a people is to just say, hey, when, when life is going great, what's God's word say? Hey, when life cuts you, when life is going bad, do you bleed God's, God's word? Every time, just God's word should be so flowing out of us. And so Jesus, that's what he, he points to. He points to scripture and he quotes from Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament um, and first five books of the Bible. And he quotes Deuteronomy 8 too. And so the Israelites, they had come out of Egypt, uh, out of slavery, and they're in the wilderness. And the Israelites had been hungry and they're like, God, give us, give us food, give us more. And during that time, God wanted to teach the Israelites to help them learn that, that God was good and that God would provide for them, but it wasn't all about them getting what they wanted right away. That it wasn't all about their circumstances or getting things at their convenience. God was trying to show them something. Hey, there's the, hey, Bread is fine, your circumstances and, and doing things for that is fine, but what's the priority of your life? And so that's, Jesus quotes that. Um, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father's mouth. Can you imagine going a day without coffee? I mean, some of you are like, yeah, no problem. Can some, can, yeah, you're just, I, I like it. AJ's just like, no, no, I don't know. <laughs> Can you imagine just going one day without social media or the internet? One day. Right? That, like, I'm saying, like, if I just said, hey, tomorrow, no internet of any kind. You'd just be like, man, this pastor stinks. <laughs> because that thought for us would be like, no. I can't go without those things. Those are things that I need. 
I need the coffee. I need the internet. Daily, every day. What about when it comes to the word of God? What about when it comes to what God has said? Because what Jesus is saying, hey, man shall not live only by bread alone. He's not saying, hey, don't, don't, don't eat bread. Of course, he, of course we need bread to live, but he's saying it's not only by bread. You think that your life is your circumstances? You think your life is getting these things? Your purpose in life doesn't come from your circumstances or just filling your needs and eating bread. Jesus is saying, hey, your purpose, your meaning, even his, his purpose, his meaning, his identity doesn't come from his circumstances, but from what God has said, from the word of God. That's where his purpose comes from. And so for you, I mean, your happiness isn't made in, in fixing your circumstances. Your, your purpose is found in God. And what, what he said, obeying him, following him, trusting him. I mean, think even just a few chapters later, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 9. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Right? Kind of like the reverse right here. If he asks for a fish, will you, will you give him a snake? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? We have a good and loving Father. He, he's good. He'll provide. Maybe not provide the way that you want. Maybe not provide when you want. But... Our, cir- our circumstances aren't the purpose of our life. Our, our circumstances are not what we live off of. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father's mouth. And so we look to God's word. That's what Jesus is doing, He's trusting in his Father. So that's the first temptation is to provide for yourself. Second temptation, prove yourself and prove God. Prove yourself in God. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, probably in you know, Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle, the, the high point of the temple. And the temple would have been, this is the place that, that represents kind of the, the most of God's presence. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, again, questioning that, that identity, throw yourself down. Hey, just toss yourself off from this high point, for it is written... He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord, your God. So, um, here, Satan is trying to tell Jesus, hey, prove yourself, and we see a new tactic. Hey, last time, it was just... Here, if you're the son of God, do this. Here, it's, if you're the son of God, now new tactic, quote scripture. Use scripture. Just a quick note here, scripture can be twisted. Be careful of just cherry picking verses. Just pulling a verse out and being like, well, there we go. That's what the Bible says. Because it, uh, scripture can be really twisted or, or quickly, even as a society, mean, mean things that it never was intended to mean. So that's why a big part of learning and interpreting God's word is done in community. Um, and then, you know, hey, a little plug for city groups. Get in a city group if you're not in one. So, um, hey, he tells Jesus, hey, throwing yourself off the temple, this would be a great way for everybody to see who you are. 
to see how legit you are. If, you, if they see you throw yourself off that and you're caught, man, people would definitely think that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, Jesus, you'd kind of prove yourself. And then um, Satan, when he quotes, the, quotes Scripture, it's from Psalm 91. And Psalm 91 is this great, great psalm about just God's protection, God's provision. Then in response, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16, which is, um, is a reference back actually in Deuteronomy 6.16. It's actually a reference back to Exodus 17, where the Israelites, they demanded that God give them more water. And they're, they're, the Israelites were basically telling God, prove to us that you're for us. Give us more water. That'll show us that you're really for us and that you're really with us. And you, we'd maybe think if we're reading that story, be like, hey, wait a minute. What about those 10 plagues? That was kind of legit. Hey, what about when you went through fire or went through the Red Sea? Um, that wasn't enough? And so the, the question back there for the, for the Israelites is this. Is, is God among us or not? Is God really here? And Satan is tempting Jesus, use your privileges as a son of God. Prove you are God's son by throwing yourself down. Prove God. Prove God your father. Show, show, you know, prove that he really has power. Prove that he's for you. Prove God's presence. Prove God's protection. Because if you're a son of God, then God will for surely protect you. This is what the Bible says. Let him prove that he loves you. And so what Satan is, is, is doing here, he's saying, hey, kind of make God your genie in a bottle. Hey, hey, Jesus, act, and this is the temptation, act as if God is here to serve you rather than the reverse. Let me say that again. Act, I mean, the temptation is, Jesus, you need to act as if God the Father is here to serve you rather than you're here to serve him. So let's, let's say that you're engaged. And before you got engaged, you came in, uh, one of your, your relatives passed away, and you came into a large sum of money through an inheritance. And you invest it, and um, things are going well, and then you, you get engaged. And during the engagement, you find out that all of this, this huge sum of money that you uh, invested, the investment was bad and, it, and it's gone. You've lost everything. And so you go to your fiance and you tell them, hey, remember that investment with all that money that I had? Well, it's gone. And then your fiance, in response to that, says, wedding's off. No more wedding. How would that make you feel? You'd be like, I knew she was a gold digger. No, I'm just kidding. But you'd feel violated. Wait a minute. What do you mean this is off? Well, I thought, I thought we were engaged. I thought we were going to be, get, be married because we wanted to have this commitment to one another. I thought, I thought we loved each other and all these things. Wait a minute. Are you telling me, and I'm finding out that you only wanted to marry me for my money? Isn't that how we approach God many times? We approach God many times to like, hey, we're going to marry God for the money. God, oh man, you're, you're telling me you're not going to do this for me and do things the way that I, that I want you to do them? Hey God, these are my circumstances. Fix them. Make them right. And when you don't, we're just like, what's your problem, God? 
right? You're here to serve me. Provide for me. That's, the, that's it. And if I follow you and if I do the right things, then that's my end of the bargain and you've got to fulfill your end of the bargain. You're, you're kind of like the genie. Hey, I rub the lamp. I get God out. And then we, you do stuff for me. And when Jesus says, hey, for it is written, don't put God to the test, he's saying, hey, that's, you don't marry God for the money. That's not how this relationship works. God, God doesn't need to prove himself to you. He's not here to serve you. We don't force God or make God perform tricks for us. Do not act as if God is, is here to serve you. And I know that could be a real struggle where we think, hey, but is, is God really here? We wonder that. Man, is, is God really present? Is God really for us, for me? And I say, I get that. Those are real feelings. Right? We, we do face really, really hard things, hardships. And I just say, whenever you're questioning, you're wondering, man, is, is God really here? Does God really care? I say just don't focus on your circumstances. Focus on what, how God has really proved himself to you in sending his one and only son to die in your place. If, man, God, how, did you, how could you have possibly, the biggest possible way, demonstrate your care for me, your love for me? God already has. He said, God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Fixing your job thing isn't, that's way under than God, man, Jesus dying on the cross for you. And so just focus on those things. And so we see this temptation that, that Satan has for him. Hey, prove yourself, prove God. And now let's, let's look at the last temptation, verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all of these things if you fall down and worship me. And so uh, maybe, you know, it's, it seems like Satan is, is kind of transporting him to, to a mountain or kind of a vision. Uh, I kind of imagine this uh, being like in, in our, for us today, if, God, if Satan came and, and took us to a high point, something like Mount Crescent or something like that. And, and Satan is like, I will give you Iowa. And we're just like... Keep it. <laughs> and so, so he, he takes him to, to this place and gives him a vision of all the kingdoms of the world, of their glory. And he says, hey, you could have it. This could be all yours if you just fall down and worship me. Now, notice that Satan doesn't start with this one. I mean, if Satan just the first thing, then Satan pops up and just says, hey, worship me. That would feel... Oh, well, that's definitely bad because making stones into bread isn't exactly like a bad thing. This one, I think we're a little bit more like, hey, that seems a little off to me. But Satan doesn't start there. It's this gradual increase working up towards it. And that's just a tactic of, of, of spiritual attack. It usually doesn't start off with, hey, make this gigantic bad decision. It's usually just a bunch of little decisions, a little compromises, Hey, decide this, decide that, decide that, and then eventually you've just drifted into sin, drifted away from God. Oh, hey, 
you don't need to go, you don't need to worship with the body of Christ. Hey, you could just watch it online. And I get it, that, that, that can be a thing, right? But, but are, is that an area where you just drift? Hey, you don't, you don't need to go to city group this week and then you miss once, you miss twice, and then eventually a year or two goes by and you're just not in community. You're not really pursuing others, loving others, giving to others, or pursuing Christ with others. Just different ways. Hey, don't, don't be generous with that. Don't be generous with this. Boom, boom, boom. And just all these little decisions that add up really fast that drift us into, into all kinds of things, into line, things that we would maybe never imagine doing, but it just started just simple. And so Jesus, or devil is here, is just doing that, kind of builds up. And he's offering Jesus all these kingdoms. And the question is, is like, can, can Satan really offer that? Are all of those really his to give? In Ephesians 6, again, it says that there are spiritual authorities and rulers. John 12, it says that he's the ruler of this age. But in Daniel 4, it says that the Most High is rule, the ruler over all human kingdoms. And so Satan does ha- have real power in, in this age, but it's always under the ultimate power and the ultimate victory of God. And so S- Satan is tempting him with this. And, and here's kind of the temptation here. It's think of yourself. Because what Satan is telling Jesus is, hey, you can have what you came here for, and you could have it without the cross. Hey, you could, you could take the easy way out. You could get what you want, you can, but you can avoid suffering. You could get the right end even by the, the wrong means. You don't need to die, Jesus. Just worship me. You don't need to suffer. Get your power. Get your glory. Get what you want. You're the son of God. So why be a suffering servant? And then Jesus, verse 10, doesn't doesn't take the bait. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And this is, this is very similar to what Jesus says later actually to Peter when Peter tries to get Jesus to not go and die. In, in Matthew 16, and he says, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter was trying to get him to avoid the cross being put to death. And so then he quotes, worship the Lord your God and only serve him. This is from Deuteronomy 6.13. And so he's saying, hey, no, I'm not going to worship you. I'm not even going to think about myself and just kind of Kind of worship me in this moment. I'm going to worship God. And then after Jesus quotes scripture, verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him, and angels uh, came and began to serve him. Satan leaves. And so the interesting thing, one interesting thing in this, is that this whole time, Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to obey him, and the only one that actually obeys is Satan. Jesus says, be gone, and Satan has to listen. He has to obey him. And then Jesus does have food provided for him. It's not through him turning the stones into bread, but it's actually through God's provision. The angels do show up. And so Jesus is being offered, hey, get power, get glory, get what you want, don't suffer, be exalted, avoid the cross, avoid being crucified. And we're tempted in similar ways, right? Think of yourself, get yours. We want all this glory, success for ourselves, and you might be tempted to compromise to get it. 
hey, the, it's just about the end. It's just about the end goal. It doesn't matter how you get there. The ends justify the means. And even though Jesus knows, man, he's being tempted to think of himself and take the easy way out because he knows that the cross is coming. And he knows if following God, obeying his Father's voice, worshiping only the Lord, his God, will involve suffering. Aren't we not tempted to do the same thing? Because when it comes to us and our relationship with God and, and just following God, how many times do we just really want comfortable Christianity? I want God, but I don't want to suffer or sacrifice anything. I don't, want to, I don't want to inconvenience myself in any way. We don't want it to cost us anything. We want to think of ourselves, And so think of how Jesus actually was exalted because this is what you know, Satan is telling him, hey, be exalted, get what you want. In Philippians 2, it says this, that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus was exalted. He, he was um, lifted up, not because he got it for himself, it's because he obeyed God and actually humbled himself. Then he was lifted up, not by taking the easy way out, but, but just by worshiping God and relying on God to do that. And so we've just seen these, these th three temptations and provide for yourself, prove yourself, prove God, and then think of yourself. And if we just left there, it'd be like, okay, great, great story, moving on. But this is way more than just a story. This is more than just driving by, you know, raising canes. This has impact for you in your everyday life. And so we're just going to be looking quickly at four meanings, four, four conclusions that we can have for, um, from this text in light of this. So first one is this, Jesus is good. Alex talked about it last week. In Matthew, we have all of these things pointing, testifying to who Jesus is. Hey, this is the genealogy. This is the bloodline. This is your heritage and all these people. And this rightfully shows that, yes, you're the Messiah God. All the prophets, they're telling you, hey, this is Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. John the Baptist is saying it. And they're telling you, hey, there's wise men. They're here to see the king, see these foreigners. They're telling you who it is. Man, in chapter three, man, God the Father says, this is my son. Jesus, whom I love, I'm well pleased. He's saying it, the spirit. Everybody's testifying. This guy is rightfully the king, the Messiah, the savior. But here's a question that we might have. But what kind of king is he? Is he really good? Because think of it in our day and age. There's people that have rightful claim to become the next king or queen of a country, right? Because, hey, you're in the bloodline. All you're, you're, you're there. You're next in line. We could have an election for, for different officials. And it could be like, hey, they have, they, they, got, they won the election, and so they're the rightful person. But does that make them good? 
Right? That could be a question. It's like, hey, you rightfully got the spot, but what kind of, of king or person in power are you going to be? Are you going to be the kind of person that uses your power for you? For your, kind of, for your agenda? To benefit you? Or are you going to use your power, your authority, for the good of others? And right here, we have this picture, this, this testimony to us that, man, Jesus is good. He's not just rightfully the king because of all of these things testify to who he is. He's the king and the savior that you need. He's not going to use his power to benefit himself, to get what he wants. Jesus, even later in Matthew 20, says, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So he's the king that we have been waiting for. He's good. Second thing is this, is that Jesus understands. Jesus understands. Whatever it is that you're going through or have gone through, Jesus can relate. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was hungry. Jesus cried. Jesus is being told to doubt, to take the easy way out, to get stuff for himself. Jesus saw death. Lost loved ones. And so, whatever it is that you're facing, Jesus is not just some faraway, distant God that has really no idea what you're going through and is just like, well, just make the right decisions. No, he understands what it's like. In Hebrews 4.15, it says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. And so Jesus can identify with you, relate with you, knows what you're going through. And so he, he's our great high priest. And then even from that uh, Hebrews 4.15, it says that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. And so third implication is this, is that Jesus is our perfect representative and savior. If you, if you see this in, in, the, in the text, and so it's like Jesus' temptation reflects that of Israel and of Adam. So Israel, when they're in the, in the wilderness, uh, after coming out of Exodus, uh, they, they, go, they go through the Red Sea, and it says that they're kind of baptized in the Red Sea. Jesus was baptized, and then they both go into the wilderness. Israel for 40 years, Jesus for 40 days. They're, you know, it's kind of like he's mirroring them. And so all of the, the passages, passages that Jesus quotes are from Deuteronomy 6 through 8. And this is right after Israel gets out of the wilderness. And, it, and it's about them not having bread, about them wanting to prove God about them worshiping other gods. And every time Israel faces these tests, they fail. Every single one of them. They doubt who God is. They do worship other gods. They showed themselves to be sinful people who strayed from God. But where every time that Israel fails the test, Jesus passes it. He obeys God. He follows God, showing that he is the savior of the world or Savior of Israel. But it's also not just that he's the Savior of Israel. He's the Savior of the world. Because this does reflect Adam and Eve's temptation. That they're tempted with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, pride of life. They're being tempted to eat the food, to not trust what God said, to not trust God's provision. And Jesus passes the test where they failed. Where, where not just they failed, but where you and I fail. 
And so Jesus' representation of us doesn't start at the cross. It's starting right here. Doing what you cannot do. Doing what you haven't done. Resisting sin. He is without sin. He is our perfect righteousness, our right standing with God. It's through, it's through faith in Jesus. Something that, that we see right here in the text, he earned it for us. Yes, you and I have failed. We've all fallen into sin. We've all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus is our perfect righteousness. He took on our sin, our disobedience, and he gave us, us, our, gave us his right standing with God. And so if, if you have trusted in God and you go to pray to God, you go with the righteousness of having withstood Satan to his face and resisting that temptation. And you might be thinking like, no, no, no. No, I didn't. I fell into something this past week. I did fall into temptation. How can I go to, go to pray with God as if I just resisted Satan to his face? You didn't, but Jesus did for you. This is, this is not just some story where like, oh, cool, Jesus, you didn't do it. Good job. You today, if you've trusted in Christ, you have perfect, permanent, right standing with God because Jesus has done what you could never do for yourself. You have that in and through Christ. Salvation, forgiveness of sin, being brought near to God, all because why? Jesus is the perfect Savior that we all need. You don't have to wonder, man, do I really... Do I really have right standing with God today? Because, I, man, I've, I've had a crummy week. I've had a bad day. And I know I've fallen where I shouldn't have. Your right standing with God, you, God loving you or liking you is not something that you can do just by how you act on a certain day. It has been bought by Christ. Your identity is in him. And so we have, we have this perfect standing with him. He's our perfect representation. Last implication is this. You can really fight sin and become more like Jesus. Does Jesus give us an example? Does this passage give us an example of how Satan tempts us? Yes. Does this passage give us an example of how Jesus fights sin? Quote scripture. Yes. But this is not just that Jesus is our example. If you leave here today and all you get out of this is that you just think, I really, I need to quote scripture. Every time I'm, I'm tempted, I just need to quote scripture and boom, I'll be good. You're toast. <laughs> right? Because what, 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 yes, is it good to hide God's word in our heart? Totally. But if all this is is just an example for us to follow, this is not going to go good for us. Because why? Because then you're just relying on how well you memorize scripture. You're just relying on how well you could do all of these things to just avoid temptation, to not fall into sin. Here's the awesome thing. At the end of chapter three, what happened? The spirit of God like a dove came on Jesus. And so Jesus is being empowered, he's being led, and he is resisting temptation by the Holy Spirit. And if you've trusted in Christ, that same exact Holy Spirit fills and lives in you. Isn't that amazing? 
Man, the same spirit that empowered Jesus to do this lives in you. This, is, this isn't just by your power that you're doing things. You actually can resist temptation. You can resist sin. You don't have to give into it because sin no longer has mastery over you. You belong to someone else. If you, if you trust in Christ, I, man, I don't like say, us saying this. Well, I'm just a sinner. No, you're not. That's not who you fundamentally are anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. You belong to Jesus. And his spirit lives in you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so this time tomorrow, later, later today, we read this story and it's like, hey, this has a real impact on my life now. I could stand in the truth of God knowing that, man, this is real. The spirit of God lives in me. We don't, we don't have to face this alone because the reality is, is by yourself, you cannot triumph over sin. But Christ can. His spirit in you can. And so as we, as we read these stories, this isn't just some story. It shows us that, that Jesus is this good, perfect king, the king that, that, that we've been waiting for, the king that we need. It shows us that he understands us. That we really can rest secure fully in our identity in Christ and our right stand with God because he has earned it completely for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, that this is true. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, that, that you are perfect, that you did always and you do always say just completely yes to, to God the Father and, you, and say, say no to, to sin, say no to using your power for yourself, Lord, but you use it for others, Lord, um, so that we might know you. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we just think of, of your word, Lord, that your spirit would move us to, to worship you, to know you, Lord, and to know that in whatever we face, Lord, that you can relate and that you are with us and that your spirit, through your spirit, there is, there's freedom, there's power, Lord.